This is Crossroads, the Get Religion podcast. We often say that the press doesn't get religion. And if that is true, and it is very true here in the U.S., what if they tried their hand at a religious story that is wound up with the war in Ukraine and located in Ukraine? How do they do when they cover a foreign religion story? Well, if the latest from the New York Times slideshow called The Monks in the Middle of Russia's War in Ukraine is any indication, not well, not well at all. Greetings and welcome to Crossroads with Terry Mattingly. I'm Todd Wilkin. Thanks for tuning us in. Terry is Senior Fellow at the Overby Center for Southern Journalism and Politics at the University of Mississippi. He's founder and editor of Get Religion and author of the weekly On Religion column for the Universal Syndicate and the book Pop Goes Religion. Terry, welcome back. Glad to be here. So why is this monastery, Percherska Lavra, why is it so important to Orthodox leaders and political leaders, apparently, on both sides of this divide? Well, as you said earlier, that's a complex question. But let me frame it this way so that people will understand what we're facing. If the monks are forced out of the monastery at gunpoint here at the end of this month, this will be something that hasn't happened in the monastery since 1050. One. One, zero, five, one, which was when this monastery was founded. The communists didn't force the monks out. It persecuted them. They went down to, it's my understanding, there were as few as eight or nine or maybe ten monks left in this gigantic multiple church monastery in Kiev but it didn't close. They were not able to shut them down or force them out. So that's the seriousness of what we're looking at. So there's about a hundred monks now. When I first visited the monastery, I wrote a column back in 2009 called Religion Ghosts in Ukraine. And it was basically about the conflicts we're discussing now at the religious level They already existed in 2009 and well before that. What we have now is a war inserted on top of decades of disputes in Ukraine about the status of the Orthodox Church. And it doesn't help when our media tells us otherwise. But to understand the role of this monastery, you have to go back to the baptism of the Rus, the Christianity coming to the Slavic world in 988 with the baptism of Prince Vladimir. The Kiev Monastery is founded in 1051. I think our listeners need to understand that to Slavic Christianity, which is bigger than just Russia, to Slavic Christianity, this monastery is Jerusalem, their own Jerusalem. Now, where does it stand in the world of global orthodoxy? There's no question that the center for monasticism for Eastern Orthodox Christians is the Holy Mountain in Greece. It's a peninsula in Greece that contains 20 
different monasteries of varying ages, but all of them to some degree ancient. And there are many other smaller monasteries. Then you have another symbolic, to say the least, monastery, which is St. Catherine's, which is at the base of Mount Sinai. Uh, to give you some idea of how remote this monastery is, they didn't know World War II happened, basically, at the base of, the, of Mount Sinai. You could argue that that's the most important, second most important monastery in the world, except the number of people that look to it as their spiritual home. The churches of the Middle East have all been beaten down and crushed and almost eliminated in many cases. So at that point, the Kiev Lavra is arguably the second most important Orthodox monastery in the world. If you're looking at the number of people who looked to it as a holy site, a pilgrimage site, the way I've expressed it in the past is that when you look at the at the Russian world, the larger Slavic world under the czars before communism, basically Moscow was power, St. Petersburg was culture, and Kiev was the heart of orthodoxy for the Slavic people. So that's just a bit of a background to it here, but we can walk through a New York Times, weird little New York Times piece, to kind of understand what's getting simplified to the point of simple inaccuracy in a lot of our media today in the coverage of this. And I, I say this openly as someone who has worshipped in the Lavra in 2009 and again a few years after that and have met these monks and have gone to Vespers with them and stood out under the trees at the top of the monastery and watched them hear the confessions of hundreds of Ukrainians who would stream into the monastery. It's really hard to deal with the emotions of thinking about these monks being driven out of their home when they've been there for more than a millennium. This is so much larger than the scope of Russia's immoral invasion of Ukraine and some of the other political, geopolitical stuff that's going on. If you look at this as a religion story and as a dispute between two different groups of Orthodox Christians in Ukraine, this is a story that goes back a millennia and the actual dispute itself has been going on for several decades. So what is the story? Why does President Volodymyr Zelensky want these monks out of this monastery? Well, because he wants to create a standalone, independent Ukrainian church that basically answers to Europe and to the ecumenical patriarch in Istanbul when for centuries under Orthodox canon law, it has been part of the Russian Orthodox Church's kind of umbrella. But when you say the Russian Orthodox Church and Moscow, it's important to remember that we're not talking about Vladimir Putin. We're talking about, in some ways, the Russian Orthodox Church is older than the state of Russia. It's older than the concept of a Russia as a government. It dates back into Slavic tribal eras. And the canons of the Orthodox Church are clear. The Ukrainian Church, to some degree, is related 
to Moscow. It is a subset of Moscow because it was a part of the Slavic Orthodox world, the center of which was Moscow. After Moscow, frankly, got larger than Kiev, but that was, once again, centuries ago that that happened. So when, when you hear people saying, this church is loyal to Moscow, it has been largely independent for quite some time. But yes, under Orthodox canon law, it was loyal to Moscow. Now, if we can walk through this New York Times piece, and, and I'll correct some of the errors in it, the older church, the ancient church based in Ukraine, has been doing everything it can legally under Orthodox canon law to separate itself from Moscow in every way that it can, but they can't do it by themselves. There's actually a very interesting article that's up at a website, the Carnegie Endowment for International Peace, seems to have a better understanding of this than the New York Times. But once again, I think the quickest way we can look at this is by walking through this New York Times piece and hearing how the United States media is framing this story. And the, the Times is the pinnacle of the U.S. media. Uh, what specific, you said errors, a pretty yeah. rare term with you. What errors do yeah, you find? Let, let's walk through. Now, it's not a traditional news story. It's a photo slideshow. And when you add up the copy that's below all the photos, you end up with a story. So I'm going to read it like it's a story. But the opening is monks from the 1,000-year-old monastery in Kiev performed an ancient ritual this month honoring their predecessors. But a war-fueled riff between the living clerics loyal to Moscow and those loyal to Kiev is coming to a head. Okay, first of all, as I just said, this isn't a war-fueled riff. It's a war-complicated riff. The riff between two groups of people is decades old and really in many ways dates back to the fall of the Soviet Union. And then the living clerics loyal to Moscow. We're going to hear that over and over and over. Clearly, whoever wrote this has read nothing that the leaders of the older church, which is called the Ukrainian Orthodox Church, um, that church, its leaders have, they were the first group to attack Russia for the invasion, to condemn it, to condemn the actions of Putin. The leader of that church referred to this being the sin of the Battle of Cain, you know, and the murder of a brother, and kind of hinted at Putin acting in a way that was demonic in his statement. And that statement came out the day after the invasion. So that's how long the older church has been condemning the Russian invasion. They've also continued to serve. All of their members have served in the Ukrainian military. They have chaplains in the Ukrainian military. They've helped with refugees. They've led to international aid coming into the nation. So the older church, the Ukrainian Orthodox Church, calling it loyal to Moscow, is simplistic to the point of ludicrousy. Reading on, it talks about the lava or the monastery of the caves is a cradle of Christian orthodoxy for both Russians and Ukrainians. Well, it's a cradle for Orthodox Christians before there was a Russia and before there was a Ukraine. It's 
the cradle of what people in the region for centuries have referred to as the Rus, R-U-S. And in a lot of media coverage, the Rus, because Vladimir Putin is twisting that term to justify his invasion, that doesn't wipe out the fact that that's a reality that's a millennia old to one degree or another. So to say that it's a cradle for both Russians and Ukrainians, that's true. But the same is true for Moldovians and a bunch of other people in the Slavic world. Then again, Moscow-aligned monks controlled the holy site for decades until recently led the major services. Moscow-aligned monks controlled it for decades? Well, who's been there for a thousand years? The thousand years is the older Ukrainian Orthodox Church, which for several hundred years has been directly a part of the umbrella of Moscow. And before that, it was just a part of the Slavic world. Once again, I stress the Russian Orthodox Church is older than Russia as a state, certainly older than the Soviet Union, certainly older than Vladimir Putin. Ukraine's government has ordered the monks loyal to Moscow, there we go again, to leave the monastery by March 29. They're ordering the monks of the older Ukrainian Orthodox Church to leave the monastery. Amid the war, Ukrainian security services view the monastery as an incubator of pro-Russian sentiment, claiming that it is infiltrated by monks who have aided Moscow. The leaders of the older church concede that there are about a dozen cases out of several thousand clergy in the nation of priests who have done things that signal disloyalty to the current modern Ukrainian government. The next sentence, dozens of monks around Ukraine, what I've read in the past is about a dozen filed cases, from the Moscow sect, S-E-C-T, as if this group is no longer orthodox, have been arrested, accused of spying for the Kremlin, and even directing Russian airstrikes. I have no idea what that's about. Previous reports have stressed the presence of documents in the monastery loyal to Moscow, making it sound like that's loyal to Putin. Those are actual documents. I've read some of those tracks translated into English in the past. That's about the dispute that's decades old, that precedes Putin, and it's between two different groups of Orthodox Christians in Ukraine, and we'll get to that in a minute. There is a newer Orthodox Church in Russia, which you will see called the Orthodox Church of Ukraine. And that was created a couple of years ago as a formalized version of an older group of Orthodox Christians in Ukrainian, older meaning like decades, not centuries, decades. And you'll often hear them in Orthodox media referred to as schismatics. And that's because the founders of that newer church were excommunicated from the older Ukrainian Orthodox Church because of their rebellion against it. It's kind of fun, if you're into wry, sarcastic humor. The next thing in this is a photo of a group of bishops surrounded by crowds of people at the monastery. The fake and godless spirit of the Russian world is leaving the Kiev Petrus Lavra, Metropolitan Iphonius, the head of the church loyal to Kiev, pictured above said during a service, 
The problem is that the photo is not of the leader of the new church. The photo is of the leader of the older church, Metropolitan Nanofri, the person who has been trying frantically to separate his church from Moscow. They don't even have the right guy in the picture. President Zelensky, and I think this is a key phrase, he says the expulsions are needed for the spiritual independence of Ukraine. And I think that's the heart of it from the viewpoint of the modern church. And most importantly, that's from the viewpoint of the United States of America, the European Union, and to the European world. The next picture, it says, but Metropolitan Pavlo Lebed, the head of the church loyal to Moscow in Ukraine, said his members had no intention of leaving the monastery. Well, wrong again. This is actually a picture of the leader of the monks in the monastery, not the leader of the older Ukrainian Orthodox Church. That was the man falsely identified in the previous picture, Metropolitan Anofri. I know this is complicated, but let me just keep pointing this out. The Kremlin has seized on the schism to bolster its propaganda campaign at home, saying that Kiev's crackdown is an assault on religious freedom. Well, that's certainly true that the Kremlin has said that. To some degree, so has Pope Francis in Rome, and to some degree, so has a group that certainly isn't known for being conservative, and that's the World Council of Churches. The Kremlin press secretary said, this proves and shows once again that everything we're doing is absolutely right. Okay, no one else in the Orthodox world anywhere believes that statement is true, that what's happening justifies Russia's invasion, the war, etc. But the Orthodox world, most of it, recognizes the validity of the older Ukrainian Orthodox Church and Metropolitan Onofre. They, at this point, have not recognized this new church created, frankly, by the ecumenical patriarch in Istanbul and with the help of the United States State Department and the European Union and, I guess, to some degree, NATO. And then it goes on and on and over and over, monks loyal to Moscow, monks loyal to Moscow, Moscow-affiliated monks, and now they've actually closed the caves to both pilgrims and to the monks themselves. And there are the incorrupt bodies of numerous Slavic saints in those caves. And that's when I say, if you're talking about those caves, that's the Jerusalem of Slavic Orthodoxy. And it's now been closed to everybody. And the goal, clearly is for the new Orthodox Church of Ukraine, the one loyal to the current Ukrainian government and, frankly, loyal to Istanbul, America, and the European Union, I guess the goal is for them to take over the monastery. And how many monks does that church have? That's a controversial subject. If you read Ukrainian and Russian media, including statements by Ukrainian government officials, Apparently, they have about five to ten monks in that church who want to occupy the monastery after they've driven out the 100-plus monks that have been living there in a continuous line for a millennia. Now, was are you now thoroughly confused? But I hope listeners realize that the press doesn't understand 
the age of the Orthodox conflict in Ukraine, and that this conflict precedes Putin, precedes the war, and it will only be settled by Orthodox leaders around the world in keeping with their own traditions and canons. And most of the world's Orthodox bishops, I think at this point, it's fair to say, recognize the validity of Metropolitan Onofre and the older Orthodox Church, the Ukrainian Orthodox Church, and they agree with him about the immorality of the invasion, the immorality of Putin's efforts to twist history, and they want to back him in being able to separate legally under canon law from Moscow and continuing to live as a church that's existed for a thousand years. So Terry, I went, read through the story slash slideshow from the New York Times as well. I didn't notice as many errors as you did because I don't know many of the players. It's egregiously erroneous. That term Moscow sect, that's a religious judgment made by the reporter that no one in orthodoxy has made whatsoever. How did they get this so wrong on so many points? Well, I think the best way to put it is that this is a press release for the viewpoint of the current Ukrainian government, the government of the United States of America and the European Union. Everything that's in the story, I mean, other than just people getting the photographs wrong and getting the names wrong, the basic worldview of the piece is essentially that of, like I said, the current government in Kiev, both the Trump and the Biden administrations in America, and the European Union, and along with that goes NATO. Now, we're used to thinking that the opposite of all that is Vladimir Putin. What I'm trying to get listeners to realize is the opposite of that point of view is not Vladimir Putin, it's the rest of the Orthodox world, with the exception of the Ecumenical Patriarch, who is the symbolic first among equals, and this particular Ecumenical Patriarch really does seem to think that he can snap his fingers like the Pope and settle this. The problem is that other Orthodox leaders don't agree. I stress again, the Orthodox don't do anything fast. This is a complicated issue, and the war has made it all hellishly terrible and tragic. And that war is blamed accurately on Vladimir Putin. But that doesn't solve the problem of the division and the truth claims and the canonical law claims of these competing bodies in Ukraine. And that's something that's been going on for decades. I mean, for example, I've read in press reports it talking about Ukrainian police were able to recover tracts and books loyal to Moscow declaring the invalidity of Ukraine and of the Kiev government. Well, I'd bet the moon and the stars those are actually old tracts and books which were there when I visited in 2009 that are actually about them disputing the validity of the newer effort to start a Ukrainian church separate from the old historic Ukrainian Orthodox Church. And you will hear them call that church schismatics. 
And that's a loaded term, very controversial, and should never be used without an explanation, which is that the church that's backed by the United States, the European Union, Istanbul, and the current Kiev government was founded by men who had been excommunicated under Orthodox canon law by the Ukrainian Orthodox Church itself because they considered them to be trying to split the church and set up their own operation. Well, that separate, new, modern organization now has the support of NATO, the U.S. State Department, the European Union, and now the Ecumenical Patriarch in Istanbul. So I know reporters just can't make heads or tails of this. They've got to listen to Orthodox leaders in other lands, in Ukraine and in Alexandria and Jerusalem and Antioch, and even here in America, where a lot of bishops have condemned the war, absolutely, but continue to pray for Metropolitan Onofre and the monks of the Kevian Lavra and the millennia-old Church of Ukraine, the Ukrainian Orthodox Church, which is not the same thing as the Orthodox Church in Ukraine, which is the modern one. Gosh, this is complex. Terry Mattingly is Senior Fellow at the Overby Center for Southern Journalism and Politics at the University of Mississippi. He is founder and editor of Get Religion and author of the weekly On Religion column for the Universal Syndicate and the book Pop Goes Religion. Terry, thank you very much. Thanks for clearing it up. Uh, Glad to be here. I imagine we'll end up talking about this again. Tragically so. I'm Todd Wilkin. I'll talk with you next week. Thanks for listening to Crossroads with Terry Mattingly. Crossroads is a production of Get Religion, part of the First Amendment projects at the Overby Center at the University of Mississippi. If you appreciate this podcast, please make a secure online tax-deductible donation at getreligion.org.